Psychiatric disorders don't just change how you feel. They can also break down the brain's ability to remember, prioritize, and perform simple tasks. It's easy to brush your teeth, pay your bills, and stay on schedule when those cognitive abilities are intact. But when they fumble, even the slightest task is overwhelming. Or as one patient colorfully put it, shopping at the grocery store is like trying to take an SAT test with a box of crayons. The Pocket Psychiatrist is your guide to a healthy brain because people need more than medications to get well. I'm Dr. Chris Aiken, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Psychiatry Report. And I'm Kelly Newsom, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and I'm living proof that this stuff works. Generalized anxiety, major depression, explosive anger, mood disorder. Reading the names of these common mental health problems makes it sound like psychiatrists treat emotional disorders. But emotions are just the tip of the iceberg. What psychiatrists are really concerned with is helping people function in their lives. And that involves symptoms that are difficult to see or feel. Things like judgment, prioritizing, memory, and attention. We call these cognitive symptoms. And today we're going to show you what you can do in your everyday life to improve them. And when those cognitive functions are in place, your life goes better, your relationships go better, and you feel better. Sigmund Freud is sometimes thought of as the father of psychiatry, even though a lot of his ideas are very controversial. But on this note, he got it right. Someone once asked Dr. Freud what the goal of psychiatric treatment was, and he replied, to love and work. These are the cornerstone of our humanness. I get a little teared up every time I read that, because those are the things that psychiatric disorders so often rob people of. Psychiatric disorders rank right alongside pain and cancer as a leading cause of work disability. And that disability is not just about work. Functioning is also about the ability to maintain good relationships with friends and family, to enjoy recreation and hobbies, and to take care of yourself, which includes everything from showering and brushing your teeth to going to the doctor. And you're right, Dr. Aiken, people tend to feel better when their mind is working well. But let's be realistic here. That doesn't mean that they feel better all the time. I mean, work is stressful, relationships can be hard, and even a well-planned vacation can be a disappointment. Those emotional setbacks are the normal ups and downs of life. But when you can't hold a job, keep up a hobby, and maintain relationships, well, who wouldn't feel depressed if those things fell apart time and time again? And that is the vicious cycle of mental illness. When cognitive functioning goes down, when the brain is not working as well, life falls apart. When life falls apart, people feel depressed. And when they are clinically depressed, their brain really doesn't work well. It can be hard to put one thought in front of another, and finding a meaningful role in life is even more challenging. At the heart of this vicious cycle is functioning. That's why cognition is so important to recovery. You need to be able to solve problems, stick with a plan, and change gears when necessary to get through life. And all of those are cognitive abilities. Let's hear from a patient on this. Linda Logan suffered from bipolar disorder, and in 2013 she wrote an article in the New York Times Magazine that struck a nerve in a lot of people. You can read it online, and we have a link to it in the show notes. She wrote that psychiatry is so caught up with symptoms that they don't take the time to address what is really important to patients, 
the self. If you've never lost your sense of self, you may not know what she means there, because the self is that thing that, if we're lucky, we take for granted. But Linda gives us some good clues as to what she means. Let's take a look at how life was for her when she lost her sense of self. One, she lost her career as a writer and teacher. If someone asked what I did for a living, I would say nothing. A remarkably effective conversation stopper. Two, she felt disconnected from her role as a mother. I took three-hour naps every afternoon, trying to remember to set the alarm clock so I'd be awake when the kids came home from school. Many times they met a closed bedroom door. 3. She didn't feel comfortable around other people. I could not bear the thought of socializing. I tried to imitate the other mothers, their relaxed camaraderie, their confidence, the way they threw their heads back when they laughed. And eventually, she lost her marriage. As he rubbed my feet, he told me he was leaving. It was, at once, a scene of tenderness and savagery. What was it that caused Linda to lose all those bare essentials of life? Here's how she described what was going on in her mind at the time, the source of the problem. I lost my sense of competence. Word retrieval was difficult and slow. It was as if the door to whatever part of the brain that housed creativity had locked. Clarity of thought, memory, and concentration had all left me. I was slowly fading away. Last week, a patient said something similar to me, and a little more colorful. I cannot think, literally. A trip to the grocery store is like taking the SAT test with a crayon. One man told me that he was unable to brush his teeth when he was depressed. And it wasn't that he lacked the motivation. He would stare at his toothbrush and couldn't think of what to do next. This seems obvious when you're not depressed. Pick up the toothbrush, then pick up the toothpaste with your other hand. No, wait, you should take the cap off the toothpaste first when your other hand is free. Then pick up the brush. Now squeeze the toothpaste on the bristles, but not too much. Then put it in your mouth. But wait first, put the toothpaste down, then put the brush in your mouth. As I think about it, brushing out teeth is a lot more complicated than it seems. Here's another example. Last night, I was playing Trivia Pursuit with friends. And here was the question. See if you can get it. Which letter is to the right of the B on a standard keyboard? Even now, I have to look to find it. It's an N. And I can type pretty fast. But I could not tell you where any of those letters are on the keyboard. You see, they're stored in the back of my brain, in the intuitive, automatic part. And that's the part that breaks down during depression. So when our mind is working well, it goes through all those intuitive steps of typing on the keyboard, shopping for groceries, or brushing your teeth, naturally. And we don't have to think about it in all the excruciating detail. It's like the difference between driving an automatic transmission and driving a stick shift. There's a lot more to think about when you have to change the gears yourself. And that's why people with depression feel overwhelmed by simple tasks. That's actually a technique we use in therapy for cognitive problems. We have people think of a simple task they've been avoiding, like holiday shopping. Then they break it down into smaller steps. First, set a budget. Then make a list of everyone you want to buy gifts for. Write down their age, gender, and interests. 
and use those specs to search online for gift ideas for each person. Like Google good gifts under $20 for an 8-year-old girl who likes basketball. Then buy the gifts, wrap them, and feel satisfied that you've done a good enough job. There's a lot you can do to improve cognition. Therapists who specialize in cognition use two kinds of strategies to help people recover. They are called remediation and compensation. Remediation means sharpening the brain, directly improving skills like memory, attention, and problem solving, usually through practice. Compensation means finding ways to creatively adapt to cognitive problems that haven't improved such as breaking things down into smaller, more manageable chunks as Kelly just described. Other compensatory strategies include using a calendar, setting alarms on your phone, organizing your home, grouping things that you do together like breakfast and going out to your car, putting them in the same place so they're easier to find, and keeping regular to-do lists where you scratch off what you've done and have an organized list prioritizing what you need to do next. But my favorite compensatory strategy is just giving yourself enough time to do things, or more than enough time. Recognize that it's going to take a little longer to do the laundry or shop for groceries, and be kind. Give yourself the time you need. Your brain will be less stressed, you'll get less depressed, and your mind will work better. A therapist can help you find practical ways to adapt to cognitive problems. But what about sharpening your mind with a brain training app? People often wonder if brain training apps really work. Well, they do, sort of. Few of them make a big difference. And it's not always clear that that difference translates into anything beyond scoring higher on the app. But here's an interesting fact. So-called dexterity games are actually pretty good at sharpening cognition. And this includes things like ping pong, darts, bowling, and video game versions at least the more active extra games, like the Nintendo Wii. Two of the Wii programs, Wii Bowling and Wii Fit, have some of the best evidence to improve cognitive decline. These games require you to constantly adjust to reality. If the ball swerves too far to the left, you'll need to straighten your arm a little more next time. And that is what functioning in life is all about. Trying things out in the world and seeing what happens, then readjusting so we do it a little better next time. That's what helps us get things done at work and maintain friendships. So it's no surprise that ExoGames improved mood, cognition, quality of life, and relationships, according to a review of 22 clinical trials that use the Nintendo Wii to help cognition in older adults. Dexterity games can help cognition, but I wouldn't play them all day long. In these studies, people use them for about 30 to 90 minutes every other day. There's even a new video game out that was approved by the Food and Drug Administration to treat attention deficit disorder. It's called Endeavor RX, and it can even be prescribed by a doctor. Imagine that, your doctor prescribing a video game. In this game, you have to navigate down a river that's filled with obstacles and creatures, some of which you need to avoid, and others you gotta run into. Sounds like dozens of popular video games like Mario Kart or Tetris, but what makes Endeavor RX so special? Well, for one thing, the game automatically shuts off after 20 minutes of play per day. But what about those other brain training apps that promise to improve cognition with memory games? 
Those can help, but you don't want to overdo them. 20 to 30 minutes a day is enough. Some of the apps that have decent evidence backing them up are Brain HQ, Nintendo's Big Brain Academy, Cognifit, and the Dual End Back Game. That last one is a simple game that's a bit like the card game Memory or Concentration we played as kids, and there are free versions of it online. Just Google Dual End Back. That's the letter N for November hyphen back. Dexterity games and brain training apps are not actually our top choices to improve cognition. The three things that have the biggest effect on memory and cognition are a healthy diet, exercise, and sleep. I'll go over them in more detail. A healthy diet means a diet with lots of fruits and vegetables, healthy oils like olive oil, whole grains, nuts and beans, fish, and lean meats. If you want to follow a specific diet that is known to improve cognition, try the Mediterranean diet, the DASH diet, or a Japanese or Scandinavian-style diet. The Mediterranean diet improves depression as well as cognition, and it cuts the risk of dementia in half. And last month, the DASH diet, which is a diet for high blood pressure that's very similar to the Mediterranean diet, actually treated ADHD in a well-designed clinical trial. We've combined both of these brain diets into an easy-to-follow plan that we call the Antidepressant Diet. You can find it online at www.moodtreatmentcenter.com forward slash lifestyle. Next is aerobic exercise. And this means anything that gets your heart beating faster and your breath rate up. Dance, swimming, and biking all count. But the simplest way to do it is just brisk walking. That's faster than a walk, but slower than a jog. About 30 minutes a day of walking briskly will improve mood and cognition, and it also strengthens the brain cells in the memory center, the hippocampus. There are measurable increases in brain-derived neurotrophic factor, also called BDNF, that's a chemical involved in brain repair, even after a single round of exercise. For even greater cognitive benefits, try this brisk walking in a natural setting, like near a lake or in the woods. That's been found to improve ADHD symptoms in a handful of clinical studies. the last one is sleep. And here we're talking about quality sleep, not just quantity. When people don't sleep well, they have trouble learning new things the next day, from studying for school to learning physical skills like sports and music. They also have trouble thinking outside the box or finding creative solutions to life's many problems. Two months ago, we covered behavioral strategies that improve sleep. And the guidance in that podcast is a good place to start if you want to improve your cognition. Those three things, good sleep, healthy diet, and light exercise, are also some of the most important things that you can do for your physical health. Which reminds me, what's good for the body is good for the brain. The brain needs good blood flow, stable glucose sugar levels, and healthy vitamins and nutrients to function, just like the rest of the body does. 
You certainly don't want to clogged up with gunks of cholesterol or inflamed from all the artificial ingredients in fast food and processed foods. Psychiatric disorders may be felt mentally, but they aren't just in your head. They are tightly linked to the health of the brain and body. To wrap it all up, we've gone over five things you can do to improve your cognitive functioning. They are compensatory strategies. These are the creative things you do to make up for the problems you're having and focusing, and it's a good idea to develop them and practice them with a therapist. Remediation. These are the things that sharpen your brain, like brain training apps and dexterity games. And we ended with our top three strategies, good sleep, a healthy diet, and light exercise. I hope that gets you off to a start toward a better life, and the next step is to measure your progress as you go. Join us next month, where we'll talk about how to do that with a new free cognitive testing app called Thinkit. Thanks for listening, and if you like this podcast, let us know by leaving a review in your Apple Store. We read them all. We'll be back on the first Monday of each month. The Carlat Report is an independent publisher of all things psychiatric. Its books, journals, and podcasts have operated free of advertising and pharmaceutical industry support since 2003.